Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 437. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I'm excited for today's topic because this is one that I probably get the most questions about, and that is, how do I pick the schools that I want to apply to? This is a big topic of conversation in my new book, The Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Application Process. It's available for pre-order right now. We'll have a way that you can submit your receipt to receive a PDF of the book before the book comes out. So you can start right now, or as soon as I have that form set up, if you go to medschoolapplicationbook.com slash submit. Again, medschoolapplicationbook.com slash slash submit. You can submit your receipt there and we'll send you a PDF copy of the book in a few days. So go, go check that out right now. All right, our guest today is Joanne Snap, former director of admissions at Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra and Northwell, and current director of the Health Professions Advising Office at UC Davis. And Joanne and I have a ton of fun talking and bouncing ideas off of each other and bickering and arguing about different things in the pre-med process that we disagree on. And it's really fun because we get to come to a kind of a mutual understanding that, hey, there is not one way to do this. There is There are many different ways. And as long as you're comfortable telling your story in whatever way that is, then great. But there is one thing that Joanne and I agree on, and that is the standard way that students pick a school list is not very good. And we're going to talk about how we recommend building a school list right now. 
Joanne, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are you? I am good. I'm excited to have you on uh, because, number one, you have a, an abundance of knowledge here in the pre-med space. And number two, because I like talking to you and we we love disagreeing on some things and we love agreeing <laughs> on other things. And I think that makes for some great conversation. So hopefully... Our conversation today will lead to some answers for students among uh, or for a very specific question, and that is building a school list, something that students hate or they love or they do wrong. Almost nobody does it right, unfortunately. (laughs) Why is building a school list so hard for students? Well, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about how a school list should be built. And I think that the myth that's out there right now is that it really should be based around your metrics, your MCAT and your GPA. And I think that's a huge mistake to start there. Um, I think obviously you have to be very reasonable about the schools you pick. If you're in a very average range, you can't fill your list full of Ivy Leagues. But once you, you know, if you're in, in an average range, there are tons of schools you can choose from. And if you're just using metrics to pick schools, I I think you're missing out on a huge strategy. Yeah, I think number one mistake by far, and I blame the AAMC a little bit. (laughs) I don't I don't know what your relationship with the AAMC is. I've uh, I I have lots of issues with the AAMC, but the MSAR, the tool that they put out that kind of houses all the medical school information makes Mm -hmm. it very easy for a student to log into the MSAR after, of course, paying money for it, log into the MSR and filter, okay, here's my GPA, here's my MCAT. And for most students, because median MCAT and GPA is very high for most schools, they have to like start moving the slider a little bit, be like, uh oh, like my my MCAT and GPA don't show any schools. Let me let me bump right. it a little bit and bump it a little bit more. And then they go, okay, here's 20 schools that are in this filter now. These are the schools that I'm going to apply to. And they don't look at mission, they don't look at vision, they don't look at fit, they don't look at location, they don't look at public versus private. They just go, these are the schools because metrics are the only thing that's important. These are the schools that matter, or the the schools that I'm going to apply to. Now, you being a former director of admissions at a medical school, and now um, former um, kind of health professions advisor at at a big state school as well, and so you as the former director of admissions at a medical school and the director of, a, of health professions advising at a big state school, you have lots of experience with on, on both sides of students who are applying to your medical school, former medical school. And you're like, well, like you don't really fit here. And uh, on the pre-med side of things, talking to students and like, why did you pick this school? And I don't know. It just fit my stats. Like, yep. why? Why is fit? Let's talk about fit. Why is fit so important? Because students don't think it is for some reason. Right. Most people have the mentality of, I just want to get in anywhere. And again, that's another huge mistake. I mean, if you're applying, if you're picking schools with the mentality of, you just want to get in anywhere. Again, there's, there's a strategy that you have to use when you're picking your schools and using metrics and having the mentality of, I just want to get in anywhere. I don't care where I go. That kind of like desperate mentality is, is really not going to help you when it comes to strategic, strategically aligning who you are with the school. So 
when we talk about fit, here's here are the things that I would really encourage you to consider. Um, a school's curriculum model. So you should know every school you're applying to, whether it's a PBL or a case-based learning or a traditional model. And if you don't know what those things are, please Google them and do some reading about the, those curriculum models. Because if you're applying to a PBL school, there are really specific attributes that a PBL school is going to be measuring in you versus a school that is traditional. Um, if a school is in an urban setting versus a school that serves a rural community, um, that's really important to know. You want to know what communities their student-run clinics serve. Almost every med school has a clinic. Who do they serve? What languages does that demographic speak? Do you speak that language? Can you serve that population well? Those are things you want to address in your secondary applications by tying who you are, your attributes, with the, with the communities the school serves and community service projects, clinics, and their hospitals. You can Google the demographics of the city to see who predominantly goes to their clinics or hospitals. Um, I mean, there are dozens of ways student organizations, um, if they require community service or if they require research, and we could go on and on. Yeah. But those are the ways that you fit. But Joanne, Joanne, like uh -huh. seriously though, schools only care about MCAT and GPA, right? Are you being serious? No, that's all, no, that's, I, I'm the pre-med, right? They, they only care about, <laughs> they only care about, right? That's what the pre-meds will say. Like it's oh, just, yeah, sure. it's just MCAT and GPA. That's all they care about. Okay. So what does well, it matter? If that's true, if that is true, then why is it? And so I saw this both on the admissions side and I saw this on the advising side. So on the admissions side, I ran, I managed the wait list. So I saw every applicant who was on our wait list, their stats, their undergrad, everything about them. We had this really elaborate wait list, Excel sheet that we tracked our waitlist students. I sat there and watched who got in to wherever and who didn't. Back in those days, we could see where they got in after February. Yeah. So I sat there and I watched. And every year I would watch people with 3.9 GPAs. And back then it was 37, 38 MCATs. Um, not get into any school, period. The no. cycle would end and they were sitting there on the wait list still. And at, at my school now, I pull all the MCAS data for all of our applicants and I sort it by highest MCAT GPA to lowest. And every year I have a nice thick chunk of people who have 4.0s, 3.9s, and 520 MCATs, no acceptances. But I have people who have 3.2s and you know 503s who are getting two or three acceptances. So you can't convince me, Ryan Gray, or anybody else, that it is the MCAT and the GPA that is going to get you in or keep you out. It's yeah. just not that. It is important, but it's not that alone. That has nothing to do with whether you're going to get into med school or not. So for a student who has that 32503 versus a 39520, should they be building a school list differently? Yes. Okay. How? 100%. So if somebody has below a 505, I will generally recommend that they uh, kind of split their applications between MD and DO. And the only reason I say that is because there are some DO schools that will screen at a 505, MD and DO that will screen at a 505, even though you know a lot of them will screen at a 500. So if they really want to get in on the first try, I would encourage them to apply both MD and DO. If they really don't want to apply DO, that's fine. It's their business. But in terms of MD, I think there are a lot of schools that will accept lower numbers. Um, and you can use MSAR to a degree to filter those down uh, in terms of the lowest 10%. But I think um, 
you're still going to need to make a connection with that school if you want to stand out with a 503. You're going to really show them that you understand who they are and you have to articulate why it is you need to be there. Um, keeping in mind that you don't need to validate the school. So you don't need to tell the school how amazing they are and why, you know, if you go to that school, you're going to get the, you're going to become the doctor you always dreamed of. They don't <laughs> need to hear that. They already know they're pretty good. What they need to hear is what, why you're good and what you can do for them. So if you're coming in with lower numbers, you've really got to make a sales pitch about yourself, about why you're so valuable to them. And that's, again, through that fit, through telling them why you can help them in their student-run clinics, why you can help them in, with the community service projects, whatever it is that they have, what can you contribute to that to that effort? So that typically wouldn't be done in a personal statement because the personal statement is going to every school. Do you right. recommend that through an email, through secondary essays? How do you recommend that sales pitch? Yep. So that secondary is your strategy. The secondary is where you are going to tailor every essay to each school. And that's a lot of work. So just creating your school list is a lot of work. And I know people want the easy way out. They want to filter and have a nice, pretty Excel sheet, or they want someone to pass down their Excel sheet, their older friends. They want someone to hand deliver an Excel sheet to them. I encourage every person to do the work, to get into the websites, deep into the websites, move past the admissions page, go into the curriculum page and the student life page, and look at what the students look at when they're, when they're med students and really find what it is about that school um, that they connect with. And if they can't find a single thing about that school that they connect with, then they really shouldn't be applying there. There are enough schools you know, out there to, to find one that has something you admire about it. And so you track that information on an Excel sheet. Then when you write your secondaries, you literally tailor every essay. Now you can share a lot of the content you can you know, use over and over, but you yeah. can, whenever possible, tailor it to the school. Say something really specific about every single school. Drop the name of you know, the, the popular faculty member, drop the name of the clinic, drop the name of the, the population they serve. Use really specific terms and then after your application's been complete, then if they accept updates, you can send interest emails and again, articulate why it is that you want to be there. And I've found over the years that, that uh, those interest emails can be very effective at getting interviews. Yeah. I'll, I'll add one thing on top of that is, is dropping names or, or programs or whatever, and then reflecting on you have this and this is why it's important. This person is there who does this, and that's why it's important, that reflection and connection to you. I think uh, a mistake that I see a lot of students make is they just, they they list and go, well, you have this, and you have this, and you have this person, and this person, and then I read that, and I go, well, why is that important to you? It's like you just <laughs> read what we put on our website and said, <laughs> here's why I want to come. Like I, I need to know deeper and that connection to you. So yeah, mm -hmm. so that's good. Interesting. So just for clarification for a lot of students who may not understand, when we talk about the MSAR, the Medical School Admissions Requirements website that the WMC puts out, their data, they have median MCAT, median GPA, and then they have 25th to 75th percentile and 10th to 90th percentile. And, mm -hmm. and my general recommendation is don't look at any number. If you have to look at that 10th percentile, it sounds like that's a very similar recommendation that you give. You mentioned the 10th percentile to say, hey, like maybe that's a number that you should be looking at to determine if a school's willing to talk to you or not, look at your application or not. Would you agree to that number? 
Um, if I'm being honest, I don't recommend that they use MSAR much at all, but I do think <laughs> Well, MSAR me too. So that's, that's a start. <laughs> uh, what, one thing that is useful about MSAR is they have this map, if you click in, that will show how many students from different states they accept. And so sometimes people will come to me with like a school from Alabama or Mississippi. And I'm like, just click on that map and look at how many California people or Mississippi people or people from other places that they take. Yeah. And if they don't take anybody from your state, then that might not be the best pick, right? You're not, you, unless you're just so special and so super that they're going to, you're going to be the first in you know history to go there. So I think um, that's probably the only time I use that. If, if someone wants to look at the last 10 or the lower 10%, I think that makes a lot of sense if they're concerned about their metrics. Yeah. Now, a lot of students don't understand that medical schools don't have open campuses where you just show up one day and go, hey, I'm here for a tour. How is a student supposed to understand fit and culture and, and make sure they, they like the campus and all that fun stuff like they do for undergrad colleges? Yeah, especially now, um, buildings are literally closed, but you actually might be surprised. I have advised students to reach out to schools if they happen to be in a different region and um, ask the school if they would be willing to have them in or if they have any um, alumni from their school, if they'd be willing to meet with them. And I have found that that's been effective. Um, at least in, in getting in the door, uh, a lot of people, if they're coming from out of state, will invite them in and let them kind of roam the halls. And so that was pre-COVID, of course. Mm -hmm. With it is with the way it is now, and, and if you can't travel, then I would say watching, you know, just going to every source you can. I like to go to a, a med school's Facebook page because I think it says a lot uh, about what the school posts about. So if you go to their Facebook page and everything is about the latest and greatest research and they don't post anything about their students, to me, that says a lot. If you don't ever brag about how cool your students are, I wonder how student-centered they are. Hmm. Um, I also go to YouTube because I find med students to be hilarious and they make these really <laughs> funny satirical videos that can sometimes be pretty revealing about the culture of an institution. Yeah. Uh, for example, a few years ago, Stanford students put out a terrible video <laughs> talking about admissions, which got them in a lot of trouble with the admissions office. But if you think about students who would put together something like that, like, I'm not saying all students at that school are bad, but that's a culture. Um, you might want to be aware of the culture of the students that you're going to school with. Yeah. And so just watching those kinds of videos gives you an idea. Like, do I find that really funny or do I find that really offensive? Yeah. Yeah. I love social media, both, both in terms of what students are putting out and what the school is putting out to try to understand what's going on at that school to see what's important there. That's great. One of the most common things lately has been matchless. How important do you think matchless are for students to look at for their school list? Well, I think with the old board scores, it was a little bit, I think, more telling. Now, I don't know how we're going to, uh, I think the answer I'm about to give, I don't know how it's going to play out. But so sometimes students will, there are people who want to go into primary care and that's their, that's their top goal. And that's really admirable. But historically, there have been people who have gone into primary care, not because they chose to, but because maybe they didn't do so great on the boards. And so primary care was sort of a backup plan or last choice because they didn't perform well on the boards. Yeah. So when a, when a school set or a student comes to me and says, oh, well, you know, like 50 percent of their class goes into primary care, I'm thinking in my head, 
did they go into primary care because they wanted to or did they get forced into primary care? That's my first question. And you can usually find that out by looking at whether they have any programs like federal or state programs that pipeline people into primary care programs. If they do, that's fantastic. That's great. If they don't and half of their class is ending up in primary care, I would look at where they're matching. So are they matching at top hospitals in the country like Brigham Young or UCSF? Or are they matching in the middle of nowhere with no name hospitals, um, which might be their top choice, but it's not likely that most of their students would choose to go to no-name places. So to me, it's like the name of the hospital and where they're matching. But if you see some, if you see a school and you want to go into plastics and you don't see any, you know, plastic surgeons on that match list, that doesn't mean the school can't produce plastic surgeons. It just means nobody in that class wanted to be a plastic surgeon. Yeah. So don't make your decisions based on that. I would just look at the quality of the uh, hospitals that the students are matching into, if that matters to you. Yeah. It's it's always interesting because my general rec- recommendation is don't look at match lists because the school doesn't make the match lists, the students do. Right. right? And and it's board scores historically <laughs> and the the kind of funny thing about med school these days is that students are sitting at home studying third party material to do well on the boards and so the school's not even right. affecting that. Uh yeah. and and there's so much um just through my specialty stories podcasts and my e-shadowing with mentorship leading to physicians choosing their specialties. And and mentorship again isn't probably from the medical school specifically but the hospitals that the medical schools are affiliated with. And so that's something more that I like to look at and not necessarily the the school match list. Um, oh, absolutely. Like I don't tell people that. It's usually they come with that idea yeah, in their head. <laughs> exactly. So one of the things that is out there, uh, I haven't seen how popular they are lately, but I don't know if you've seen, if if you go to a website, and you put in, okay, I'm a Caucasian, a male, I'm interested in this, here are my stats, here's kind of my average G- uh-huh. uh, um, extracurricular activities per category, and it'll spit out a school list for me. What do you think about those things? Ah, oh, I think that they're terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that, um, again, you can always look for an easy way out in, in this process and in your future, but I really believe that when you understand yourself, why you picked a school, um, when you write the secondary, it's going to sound authentic. It's going, you, you actually need to be excited about the school you're applying to. If you're not excited when you apply, I, I just believe they can feel that. I think it's going to come across as like generic watered down phrases. Like I said, like, I would love to attend your school because of your world-class education, which is nonsense. Um, I think that you really need to internalize why it is you want to be somewhere. And you can't buy that from a formula. You can't get that off of uh, some site. You need to do the work and really understand that. So you can, you, you know, anyone can do anything they want in terms of how to go about this process. But I, I just find that those people who do that work are more successful. They get more interviews because the schools feel a connection back with you. Yeah. What about... I come to you, <laughs> Joanne, Joanne, my, my friends, I, I had to wait a year. I had to, I had to kind of delay a year in my undergrad. And so I have friends who are in medical school now, and I really want to come to your school because my friends are at your school and they love it. Um, my med school. Yeah. Um, 
Well, first of all, there's a, there is a tiny bit of risk with that in the sense that um, like people ask me all the time, can I have my friend who's at the med school advocate for me at the med school? And I'm thinking in my head, what if your friend's a total pain in the butt <laughs> and they don't like your friend and now your friend's speaking for you? Like, do you, are you really sure everybody loves your friend? Because yeah. that's a little risky. Um, I mean, I think that trying to control a med school acceptance like that is is just... I just don't see how you can do that. I mean, you can have a dream school because all your friends go there, but I don't, I really discourage people from sort of putting their eyes on like their sight on one or two schools and thinking that that's the way it's going to work out. Because in my experience, there's, you have very little control over this process. Um, it's probably a better idea to go into the cycle, really understanding why you'd go to any of the schools on your list and be happy with any of the schools because you did the work and understanding why you want to be there. But if, you know, I just think that if for any reason, besides the fact that your friends are there, I find that to be a little bit of an interesting reason. I've never heard that one before, actually. <laughs> um, but I, I would say any reason, you know, a lot of people want to stay in their in-state schools, which if you can, that's fantastic. But sometimes you just can't for whatever reason. And yeah, at the end of the day, you are going to be a doctor anywhere you go, but you want to make sure wherever you get accepted, you're not going to be like screaming and kicking your way there. You don't want to go to med school regretting it and hating every, you know, hitting every minute. So the worst thing you can do is get accepted and then not want to go and yeah. withdraw your application. That's I have, terrible. I have some students do a visualization technique of like, okay, you just got an email, you click on it and it says, congratulations, you've been accepted. And, and are you excited? Or are you not? If you're not, mm -hmm. if it's not pure joy and exhilaration, don't apply there. Right. <laughs> you don't want to go there. For we're, we're talking about right doing a lot of research into these schools, checking social media, looking at their websites, potentially calling, going, potentially post-COVID, and not looking at stats. And one of the biggest reasons that I hear students push back on not looking at stats is that they say, well, that's not realistic, especially for students who have financial restraints and co can only apply to 10 schools. Therefore, they need to look at stats to be realistic with their chances. Right. So I think that's fair. And I think we need to be reasonable about the schools that we pick. So I usually ask students, I say, tell me what the top top tier med schools are in the country without looking at any book. Tell me what, what the top schools are. And you know, almost always they can say, you know, Harvard, Johns Hopkins, Cornell, Wash U, they can name off these big name schools based on just names alone. Yeah. So if you identify as an applicant as being um, sort of an average metric kind of person or even below average metric kind of applicant, would it make sense to apply to those schools, right? You don't need a book or a formula to tell you that. You just decide, I am going to uh, apply to more reasonable schools. And I always use the roulette, the roulette uh, analogy. So you have, what, 10 $100 bills. Where are you going to put your $100 bills? And you can say, well, I've always wanted to go to Stanford. That's fine. You have 10 $100 bills. You can absolutely put that chip on Stanford if you want. But what are the odds it's going to land on Stanford? Um, or you can put your $100 bill on a different place where, you know, there are a lot more options or a lot more possibilities. So um, I totally uh, respect and appreciate the, the need to be very strategic. But I think that you can still, you can use MSAR, like I said, to narrow down the list. 
But if you don't look up and figure out why you want to be there, I really just don't know how you'd write your secondaries. I, I don't know what you would say in your secondaries if you don't do the research. Yeah. So. Yeah. You don't say anything, which leads to not getting an interview, which right. leads to, oh, crap, I didn't get Zero in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a, an, another really interesting topic that comes up is this topic of yield protection. Now, it's it's a very interesting topic. A lot of students don't really understand it. Some students think it's it's a way to to unduly interfere with the admissions process. What is yield protection and kind of your worldview of of medical school admissions? Well, actually, I want to make sure we're on the same page. Can yeah. you tell me what you mean by that? So, yield protection in in my mind is the the kind of resource, the limited resource for medical school admissions is interview spots, which lead obviously to to actual medical school seats. And medical schools need to be strategic with who they're interviewing to make sure that the people who they're interviewing are likely going to come to their school. Oh, yeah, 100%. So yield protection in, in terms of... I'm oh, not, that's the whole process. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. so talk right. about that. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so... Yes, uh, schools, admissions offices have different screening processes for different people. So if you're from a state that produces a lot of um, pre-meds, they will screen applicants from that state differently because they know that people from that state don't really want to come to their state. So people from that state actually have to convince the outside school that they would actually want to go there because they already know they don't want to go there. Yeah. Most out-of-state students don't want to leave their state. So there's a little bit of extra work you have to do for the out-of-state private schools because the first assumption is, is you want to stay in your state school because it costs less and nobody wants to move far from home at that stage in life. So they are going to interview you later, more than likely, unless you have super high stats, in which case they know that you know that you might go to any school because their Ivy Leagues are used to dealing with all kinds of you know the high numbers. So if you're a middle-range person, you have to do more work to convince them that you would actually go there. And that's done through, again, the secondaries and through those interest emails. Now, once you're invited to interview, you might find that you don't get invited to interview to the out-of-state schools until January, February, at least after October 15th, because October 15th is the first date that they can accept people. So they want to know if you are still interested after October 15th. So if I were you, I would send an interest email right after October 15th that tells them I'm really interested in your school because that basically says I, I didn't get accepted into my state school. I didn't get into my dream school. I still want to come to your school. So after October 15th, usually they'll open up more interviews. Now waitlist, again, they're more likely to waitlist out-of-state people. So it is your job to convince them how bad you want to be there. Um, when you go to your interviews for out-of-state schools, you really have to compartmentalize, especially if you have several interviews, you have to compartmentalize each interview, each school, and thoroughly convince yourself, brainwash yourself that you want to be at that school more than any other school in the country. I don't care if it's in West Virginia. You need to convince <laughs> them, and you're from New York, I want to be at this school, and why? You need to be very explicit and clear about that, because they're going to feel your energy. If you're going to that, that interview and you don't really want to be there, they will feel that and you will not get in because they want people who want to be there, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, their yield protection is huge. I can go on and on about all the ways and wait lists that they use that. Um, I thought you were talking about a different practice that they do. Ooh, what's uh, that practice? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's the practice of calling people right before they accept them to ask them. If oh, they really are come. you going to come? Yeah. Yeah. That to me is really shady. I don't like that. Um, and another practice that happens sometimes, I won't name schools, is they actually don't um, update their um, AMCAS records that they accepted somebody so that their acceptance rate looks much lower than it really is. Yeah. And when I was the director of admissions, I caught schools doing that all yeah. the time. And why do they do that, Joanne? Because US it ranks News them Report. higher on freaking U.S. News and World Reports. Absolutely. That's the only reason. So, you know, everybody looks at these schools thinking it's so hard and it's this and that. And they're so, you know, so they're so great. No, they play games. They manipulate numbers just like the rest of the world. And I would just try not to get sucked into that nonsense. Like, pick a school because you love it. Apply to it because you want to be there. Tell them why you want to be there. It's really basic. Don't get sucked into all of the rankings and numbers and stats and lithiums. And that's just a bunch of noise in your head that you need to silence and just focus on your journey. Go straight ahead and just don't pay attention to the world. Yeah. Did you know I, d I did a episode on U.S. News and World Reports a few weeks ago, breaking down the, the whole methodology. And it, it's just it makes me angry because so many students just live and die by that list. And it's just it's trash at the end of the day. It has no bearing <laughs> on education at all. No. <sighs> but anyway, is there anything else that we <laughs> have not talked about that you think is important for school lists? Hmm, probably so. Um, again, I think that having a really organized Excel sheet from the beginning is really, really important. And as you go through this process, I, will, I think you should start adding columns to that list and make sure that you're tracking the same data for each school. And so those columns might start out with the basics, like, do I have any outstanding prereqs? What letter requirements do they have? Um, where are they located? What's their curriculum model? And as you get better at searching and you start to discover more things that you care about, your columns will increase, but you'll start to differentiate schools. And you might even start to um, create like uh, rankings in terms of where you would prefer to submit your secondaries first um, because you care about that school a lot more, not because you're, you think you have a better chance of getting in, but because it's actually one of your top choices based on your research. Um, I do tell people, I think I, I, I um, shared this a while back about submitting one school at a time and not submitting every school at once and using time and, and money strategically. So a lot of people think that you have to submit every single school when you submit your primary AMCAS or Comus. And, and you don't, you can submit, you can submit either one with just one school, and especially if you're tight on money. Um, you could go in, like, let's say you get paid on Fridays, every Friday, say, okay, I'm going to submit three schools this Friday, and then just work on those secondaries, and then the next Friday, add three more schools, and do that throughout June and July. That way, you're not feeling that pressure, because I think a lot of people get overwhelmed when they get that first email the first week of July with 30 secondaries to do. <laughs> um, so really pacing it out and letting yourself, like, conquer each secondary one at a time, focus on it, and and that way you can really focus on each school rather than just, like, Oh, there's just so many and I don't know where to start. And yeah. Um, yeah. So those are those are a couple more tips. Yeah. Good. You say Excel sheet. I say use mapped. Right. We have uh we actually have a team member right now scouring the internet 
to pull all that data into map so that when you add, uh, we have a school list feature and you can add a school and then we know the prereqs that you have. We know based on your contacts and who you have flagged for a letter of recommendation to say, hey, this one school has this weird letter of recommendation requirement that you haven't said you're getting. Make sure you get that or this weird prereq for anatomy and physiology, which some med schools have. You should take that. If you don't want to take it, take it, take them off your list, or see if you can get that waived or or, or something else. So that's, that's some fun stuff coming into Mapped. So that's awesome. Well, awesome, Joanne Snap. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today, sharing your wisdom on school lists. Such a, a valuable topic because I, I do application renovation where I look at students' applications and really break down. And one of the most common mistakes I see is like, you're uh, an out-of-state student and half of your school list is to public out-of-state schools that aren't going to give you the time of day. So mm -hmm. why? Uh, why? And if there was some strategy behind it, great. I'm glad you knew that, but it still probably wasn't uh, <laughs> the best decision ever. So school list is really, really, really important. And so hopefully students will do better now. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great seeing you again. All right, there you have it. Again, Joanne Snep talking about her ideas behind building a school list, which are very, very similar to my ideas behind building a school list. And that, number one, is don't use the MSAR. Everyone uses the MSAR to build school lists, and we don't think you should. And so hopefully this will help you in building a school list that will lead to a productive application cycle for you to get into the med school of your dreams. Hope you have a great week. Don't forget to pre-order my new book, The Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Application Process, and then submit that receipt to medschoolapplicationbook.com slash submit to get a PDF of that book in just a few days. And one other quick thing, if you haven't registered for next month, as we're recording this April, so May 28th, 2021, Med's, uh, National Pre-Med Day, rather, uh, you should go over to nationalpremedday.com. We have three tracks, over eight hours of content, 30 plus speakers talking all about the medical school admissions process. And we have a special pre-PA track to talk about too. Again, that's nationalpremedday.com, which is May 28th, 2021. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.